this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Well, hey, everybody. My name is Pastor Alex, and welcome to week number three in our series that we're doing called The Bible Doesn't Say That. I was joking the other day that right now I'm preaching a bunch of messages on things the Bible doesn't say. I'm not even preaching the Bible these days. What's going on? So here's what we're doing. Each week in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at some different phrases, statements, common sayings that people sometimes attribute to the Bible, but upon further investigation, they're not really in the Bible. So I thought it would be fun for us to have a little audience participation time as we get started. Oh, listen, we're not going to keep grades, but you can keep track in your own head because everything's a competition. And yes, there's always a winner. Some of you are like, I don't think we would be friends. And that's okay. I will just uh, let that be. Uh, But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to throw out some sayings. And what I want you to do, you're going to have to be bold. You're going to yell out if it's in the Bible or just a common saying. And some of you are going to be wrong, and I want you to know that that's okay. We still love you. We're not here to embarrass you or shame you. Nobody's going to spin around and say, do you hear what they said? That's not what we're about today, all right? So, so we're going to have some fun with this. Are you ready? Okay, yeah. I don't know if that was as enthusiastic I was hoping for. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, this is so good. All right, 10 questions. Here we go. First phrase, is this from the Bible or a common saying? Escaped by the skin of my teeth. All right, that's the Bible, actually. That's the Bible. So some of you are doing well. Some of you are like, uh-oh, I'm 0 for 1. I don't like this game already. That's actually Job chapter 19, verse 20. Uh, all right, here we go. Here's another one. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. No, not the Bible. That's not the Bible. It's just a common saying. Some of you, it's okay. It's okay. No, no judgment in here. Some of you, uh, that's funny. Okay, my wife got that one wrong, I think. Okay. Uh, we, We're not competitive at all. All right. Uh, Number three, number three. Here we go. Uh, The blind leading the blind. Is that a common saying or the Bible? That's actually Jesus. That's the Bible there. That's good. A house divided against itself cannot stand. That is the Bible. Although some people think about Abraham Lincoln because he talked about that too, but the Bible came before Abraham Lincoln. God helps those who help themselves. Uh, that's just a common saying. That's not the Bible. If you missed week one, we spent a whole week talking about that. If you got that wrong, you weren't here. And no judgment. You can follow us online and listen to all the past messages. Okay, number six. Money is the root of all evil. That's right. All right, so some of you are good. All right, this is kind of tricky, all right? The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible actually says in 1 Timothy 6.10 that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and we may just have to talk about that in a future week. All right, next, just a drop in the bucket. Bible or common saying? That's actually the Bible. All right, that's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Good try. Uh, next, uh, a leopard can't change his spots. Ah, it's actually in the Bible. That's Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. Some of you guys are getting quiet when you don't know. You're not saying anything. You're like, I ain't going to be wrong. I'm just going to be quiet. God won't give us more than we can handle. That's just a saying. That one's not in the Bible. How about this last one? When God closes a door, he opens a window. 
That's just a saying. So if God closes the door, don't be busting down windows, all right? Don't be doing it, all right? That is a catchy phrase, and it can sometimes be comforting when we miss an opportunity, but the Bible doesn't say that. So uh, let's do this. Give yourselves a round of applause. You guys did it. So good, so good, so good. And this game just goes to prove that no one's perfect. Okay, so here's the deal. It's amazing how much we think actually comes from the Bible that doesn't, and it's also amazing how much we don't know that the Bible actually speaks about. And so this series, what we're doing is we're looking at these sayings, these common phrases that sometimes we attribute to the Bible, um, but they're not actually there. And, and my goal is not for you to be able to correctly know if it's in the Bible or not the Bible. That's not our goal. We're not trying to, in this series, give you like a gotcha moment, like, oh, you thought that was in the Bible? Gotcha. It's not. Like, we're not trying to embarrass or shame you or just get you to correctly identify what's in the Bible or not. Rather... What we're trying to do is trying to get you to think more deeply about what you believe. See, although we may recognize that a phrase is not in the Bible, for some of us, we actually are embracing that phrase and living from it. So rather than just looking at this phrase and saying it's not in the Bible, I want you to ask, is this phrase possibly inside of me? And if it is, then something has been embraced by me. Something has came into my psyche that's not necessarily what God necessarily spoke to me, right? It's not from the Bible. So I have some outside influence. And when I have these things in me, they can almost become like cancer cells, that they begin to spread and they begin to filter how I view things, how I think about things. Because I've embraced something as truth that's maybe not truth, it colors everything I see in my life. It changes how I view God. It changes how I view others. It changes what my purpose of my life is. And so if we identify those things, we need to have a little surgery. We need to remove the thing from us that doesn't belong so that we can then heal and move forward in the path that God has for us. So this is a little bit deeper than just, oh, that was cute and fun. I like the game. But I want us to actually investigate where our heart is. And I think we're going to have to ask God to help us with that. Because the first person you ever lied to was yourself. And so we need God to help us to examine our own hearts because we like ourselves so much that we will hide the truth from us. So with that in mind, here's our phrase today. Here's what we're going to talk about that the Bible doesn't say. I think this is maybe one of the most popular misbeliefs about God and about what the Bible says. Are you ready? God just wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy. The Bible doesn't say that, but so many people live as though the thing that God wants above everything else is their happiness. And listen, as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, I would love to tell you that above everything else, that God just wants you to be happy. That he just wants all of your wishes to come true, that he only wants good things to happen in your life, and that he never, ever would let anything bad happen to you. Listen, I would love to tell you that because you would love to hear that. But sometimes what you need to hear and what you want to hear are two different things. And I'm not here to just make you feel better about yourself or to fill you with affirmations of things that aren't true. I want to help lead you down the right path. But I want to be careful as we talk about this because 
I don't believe that God just wants to make you happy, but I also don't believe that God wants to make you unhappy. And sometimes we can jump from one extreme to the other. Oh, God doesn't want me to be happy? Well, then he wants me to be miserable. Well, well, no, that pendulum has swung a little too far. Here's my personal story. Some of you guys know this. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Uh, From the time I was born, man, I was in church, like every Sunday. I can't tell you, I've probably heard thousands upon thousands of sermons and probably heard hundreds of preachers in my lifetime. Uh, It wouldn't be any shock to me to get to heaven and to see that I've heard, I don't know, 200 different people present the gospel, present the good news. So, so as I grew up in church, church is very familiar to me. It's not an uncomfortable space. I grew up in the place that you are in, these seats in this room. My dad would speak from here. Uh, we would have guests in. I would go to conferences, youth camps. I would go to all these things. And as I'm growing up, like a lot of young people, I'm trying to figure out what I believe. What do I believe about God? What do I believe about life? What do I believe God's plan is for me? What am I supposed to do, right? And how does all of this work? And so it wouldn't be uncommon, as you grow up in church, to hear somebody preach a message on this very topic. And typically, this is how it goes. And some of you, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this sermon preached. The preacher would say something like, does God want you to be happy? And he would pause And then he would answer his own question by saying, no, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Anybody heard that sermon before? It's a pretty popular one. Normally what happens, like all the old people in the room are like, yeah, amen, preach. And as a young person, I'm growing up and I'm hearing that, okay, does God want me to be happy? I'm like, well, I mean... Why wouldn't he? But then, oh, no, he doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. And then the affirmation of all the people around me are like, yes, that's right. Go, pastor. And you're like, really? Really? And and I don't think I could articulate it to you as a young person, but I can now. That what I began to see as what God's plan was for my life, it wasn't happiness. No happiness. God's plan for you is no happiness, but holiness. That's what God wants from you. He wants you to do what's right. He wants you to obey. And you're going to be miserable doing it. You're never going to enjoy it. It's always going to be painful. And then the pastor will be like, you're going to have to die to yourself and your death. What are we talking about? We went from happiness to death. Oh, my goodness. But God loves you. Really? Really? I don't know how this works. This is crazy. And so I, I don't think I could articulate what I was receiving. And, and listen, I get in communication that there's always a transmission, right? There's always the, the message that's going out, the transmitter. But there's also the receiver. You have to have good transmission. You have to have good reception in order to have the message be received. Uh, have you ever gone for a radio station and you were just off like one click? And like you can still hear the original radio station you're going for, but it has a whole lot of noise with it. It has static. Sometimes when our receptor's off, we mishear the message. So I'm not saying it's all on the preacher. I'm saying that some of it could be me. My receptor's not perfect. But the other day, I turned on a radio station. I had it pre-programmed in my radio, and I clicked it, and I heard nothing. There was nothing there. And I was like, is my radio broken? I went to a different station. Guess what? That station came in. I went back to that station. 
something was wrong with the transmission of the broadcast. So when it comes to communication, it can be off for any multitude of reasons. And I'm not here being like, man, those old preachers that I grew up with are the worst. Like, I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying where I ended up, whether it was on them or on me, what I walked away with was this belief that there is a dichotomy, that there is a separation between being happy and being holy. I, I grew up embracing kind of this idea that they were mutually exclusive. You couldn't have them both at the same time. You're going to have to choose. They were contradictory. You can't be happy and holy, so you're going to have to make a choice. Do you want to be happy? And everybody's like, well, yeah. But, or do you want to be holy? Oh, oh. And so it's like this, this divide happened. And so we would then say, well, if you choose happiness, well, you're just being a selfish little sinful human, you rebellious pig. But if you choose holiness, oh, that's what God wants. And he's going to smile upon you because you picked to be holy, miserable, but holy. And so it's like, oh, which do I do? And I know that I'm not the only one who embraced this because I had a friend that I grew up with in church. His name was Corey. And Corey was very thoughtful. He was always thinking about things. He wasn't like quick to follow emotions. He wanted to process through things. And he was the one who told me, he said, you know what? I think that I'm going to follow Jesus when I get older. And I said, like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, (laughs) obviously I can't have fun and follow Jesus. So I'm going to have fun now and follow Jesus later. Why would he believe that? Because he wrongly believed that happiness and holiness are mutually exclusive, that you can't have them both. And so he thought, I'll just do what I want, I'll get my fun, and then before I die, I'll make sure to give Jesus the little holiness part. The problem is, is that when we begin to believe some things wrong here about happiness and holiness, we begin to view God wrong. We begin to swerve away from the truth of what he desires for us. See, if it's about me being happy, well, okay, and this is selfish, and oh, there's a consequence, right? This is what you're taught in church. If you're just selfish and you choose happiness, you're going to burn in hell. Okay, that's <laughs> this is not a good option, all right? So then, oh, be holy, and you want to be holy because this is where God is. This is what you're meant for. And you get to spend eternity in heaven and enjoy what? Your master's happiness. You'll never be happy. It'll just be his happiness. And you're like, what is this world? So where I found myself as a young person was kind of almost feeling as though Christianity is a decision to sacrifice being happy, which probably should be a small sacrifice for eternity in heaven. And what I felt was obligation, duty. I didn't ever experience love, the relationship of God, the kindness of God. No, he was just a cruel God who had a very strict rule, and he wanted to do everything he could to course me to do it his way and not my way. Can I tell you that that was a wrong perception of who God is? That's not the God of the Bible. That's not how he portrays himself. It's not how Jesus ever was with people. And so for me, this is hard. Because of this belief, happiness and holiness are mutually exclusive, I had a wrong perspective of God, his plan for my life, and how to live out Christianity. 
The preacher would say, does God want you to be happy? No, he doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Hmm. I think it's very easy for us to form a biblically false picture. I put it up here this way. Biblically false pictures are easily formed in us. It didn't take much for this wrong perspective of God in the world to come about. It just it was easily formed in me. There's a quote from Randy Alcorn who, who describes the dangers that exist when we separate happiness from righteous Christian living. Here's, here's what he said. He's a little bit uh, more studious guy. Augustine, Anselm, Aquinas, the Reformers, and Pascal, they said that all people seek happiness all the time. But nobody has ever said that all people seek holiness. And if we set happiness and holiness against each other, then we assure that our children, our grandchildren, and the people in our churches and communities will choose a version of happiness that is in contrast to holiness. Here's the question that helped me to undo this wrong belief. Is what if to be perfectly holy is to be perfectly happy? What if they're not separate and at odds with one? What if to be perfectly holy is to be perfectly happy? Sometimes I feel like in the church world, happiness can become just, you know, marked as like evil. Does anybody know who Bobby Boucher is? <laughs> Bobby Boucher from The Waterboy? Well, Adam Sandler. You know what Bobby Boucher's mama said? Foosball's of the devil, Bobby. Why was foosball of the devil? We don't know. But mama said foosball is the devil. I think sometimes in the church, the message is, Happiness is of the devil. And it's like, oh, I better not be happy. I better be miserable. No. Why do we believe that? I, I don't know where we got this. Here's something interesting. Theologian Scott Swain, he believes that happiness is actually found in God himself. And I'm going to have to agree with him. Here's what he says. He says that God's beatitude is simple. Nothing makes God happy. God does not have happiness God is happiness by his essence. He is happy because he is who he is. God's beatitude is eternal. The glory of the blessed God is the glory of the king of ages, the glory of the one who lacks beginning and end. God's beatitude is immutable. Nothing can increase God's happiness and nothing can take it away. I believe it's time for some of us to reconstruct our Christian view of happiness and pleasure. Because what if happiness and pleasure doesn't originate with selfish me? What if happiness and pleasure starts with God because he is the source of true happiness and fulfillment in life? The late Tim Keller, he says this. He says, here's the irony. He says, the less you're concerned about your happiness and the more you're concerned about him, God, the happier you get. He said, this is not a trick. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. But aim at earth, and you get neither. Here's the deal. If we believe that God's ultimate goal and desire is for us just to be happy, then our relationship with God will get weird. 
Because if God is here just to make me happy, then God exists to serve me instead of me existing to serve him. Let's never forget that we were created to serve God. He does not exist to serve us. And if there is a God who just wants to make me happy, then suddenly what I do is I turn God into kind of like a cosmic vending machine. If he's here just to make me happy, then it's kind of like I went to the vending machine, I put my money in, I punched the buttons for what I wanted, and now contractually, it's the vending machine's job to give me what I asked for. And when we turn God into that, and we say, hey, I've done my part, it's now your responsibility to give me what I asked for, we have manipulated and perverted the relationship that God desires for us. So often we are guilty of reducing God down to a formula. Like, hey, I said my prayers. I did good things. I avoided those bad things. I went to church. I even gave money in the offering, God. So now I expect you to show up and to do what I want. I did my part. So God, these addictions should just go away, right? I mean, I did my part. I was a good little Christian, so I should get that job. I should get that house. God, I should definitely get that spouse. I did my part. Therefore, God, you should give me what I want. See, the tragedy in treating God like a vending machine is that God doesn't work that way. And if you think that he does, you will be disappointed. You will be let down. Because God doesn't march to the beat of whatever you want. He's not here to serve you. And I find that there's so many people who have walked away from the faith and walked away from God, and they're saying things like, well, I tried church, and it didn't make any difference in my life. It didn't make me any happier. Hey, I tried religion. It didn't work. Hey, I tried this God thing. I read the Bible. I prayed, and guess what? I'm still sick. Hey, I did everything I'm supposed to, and my kids are still messed up. My marriage sucks, and I'm not any better off financially. This thing isn't working. Religion didn't work for me. Well, maybe... That's the problem. See, God's not calling us to religion. He's calling us into a relationship. He's not calling you into a transaction. He's calling you into transformation, which you are made new. If you believe that God exists just to make you happy, and you're not happy, it's going to force you to believe that God has failed you. And can I let you know something? God has never failed. Biblically false pictures are easily formed in our head, and we need to remove them. We need to unlearn some things so that we can reconstruct properly. The wrong perspective of God will always lead us down a wrong path that will leave us hurt, frustrated, and disillusioned. And that, my friends, is the breeding ground for deconversion and walking away from the Bible. But if we, with God's help, can reorient our thinking... And understand that God is happy and is the source of enjoyment in life. Well, we can see that happiness and pleasure can be expressions of worship to him. Christians can then reflect peace and happiness and contentment and joy to a world that is looking for happiness. So I'll say it this way. God doesn't want you to be unhappy, but he desires more than just your happiness. God's not opposed to you being happy, but he wants more for you than that. That's like bottom shelf. There's more that God has for you. God's desire is not for you to be miserable 
He doesn't take pleasure in your suffering. We don't serve an oppressive God. Rather, we serve a God of true, perfect love. And I've shared with you before um, a little bit about my family. Uh, A lot of you know I have three boys at home. Max, Miles, and Micah. It's awesome. There's testosterone flowing. It's increasing daily. My wife loves it. I got these boys at home, and um, how many of you guys have kids? Just a quick show of hands. Okay, you, you probably are introduced to a new level of love when you had a kid. Like, it changed you. Like, it was, there was, like, you before kids, and then there was you after kids, right? And just like any good parent, you love when your kids are happy. Don't you love it? Like, my kids, like, I've tickled them so much that they now request to be tickled. <laughs> they come to me like, Dad, will you tickle me? And I'm like... Why? You almost peed your pants last time. But they're like, we love it. And they laugh and they cry and it's so much fun. And, and now my boys are getting a little older and so now, now they're funny. Like we're at that age where like they're getting sarcasm. They're not good at it, but they're doing it. And so it's kind of fun. The other day they were making their own jokes in the car and they were horrible. But the way their brains were, I was still laughing. I was like, this is so much fun. Do I desire for my kids to be happy? Yeah. I don't want to have unhappy children. Who wants that? Have you met unhappy children? Nobody wants that. Okay? We want our kids to be happy. But I desire more for my kids than just happiness. My kids uh, maybe are playing in the street and a car is coming. They're having a ball. They're having fun. They're so happy. Do I just say, you know what? Happiness reigns supreme. I won't say, get out of the street, a car's not. Just, I don't want to interrupt their happiness. Let them be. Would that be a good parent? No. I should be arrested and taken somewhere, right? That's not good. Call Child Protective Services, okay? This guy is being negligent. He's not being good. He just wanted his kids to be happy. That was a horrible idea. Your kids' safety is more important than their happiness. Everybody understand? Right? So a good parent would say, yeah, I want you to be happy, but still, there's a time and a place for that. Um, I want my kids to, to learn to have a good work ethic. I want them to learn to take responsibility. So we give them chores, things that they can do, age appropriate, that they can contribute, that they can do something that's not just about them. When I ask them to clean up, are they happy? Most of the time, No but I'm willing to sacrifice that happiness so that they can develop something that's going to be more important for them in life. And eventually, I'm finding that if they will just start to do what they're supposed to do, they find themselves to be happy. One, our relationship's better. But two, they feel a sense of accomplishment. They're doing what they're supposed to. Just in the same way that I, as a father, desire my kids to be happy, I just desire more from God is the same way with us. Does he want you to be happy? Sure. But not at the expense of certain things. And so God desires for you to be happy, but he desires other things more than that. So with the time we have left, let me give you three points to consider here. God desires more than just my happiness when it causes me to sin or live unwisely. Sometimes you come to church and everybody's like, sin's bad, sin's horrible. Can we just be honest for a minute? Sin is fun. That's why we do it. We enjoy it. It's kind of like a good sneeze. This is the time of year for some good sneezes. You feel it coming and you sneeze and it's like relief and you feel so good. But then afterwards, there's snot everywhere. (laughs) That's how sin is. 
it feels good in the moment, but then there's this mess, and it's not as good as I thought. Maybe I shouldn't have gone home with them last night. Felt good in the moment, but uh, the next morning, this isn't so good. God desires more than your happiness when what you're doing is going to harm you and hurt you. And sin always leaves you hurt. I think we all have stories of people in our lives that in the moment, they chose the drugs, they chose the sex, they chose the lying, the stealing, and doing what feels good. It seemed to bring them happiness in the moment, but then after the fact, they're filled with pain, they're filled with regret. Maybe they picked up an addiction, they're hurt, they've been betrayed. The list can go on. God wants our happiness, but not when it causes us to sin or live unwisely because it's not good for us. And like a good parent, he wants better for us. Sometimes people come into the the Christian faith thinking it's going to be all like sunshine and rainbows and there's never going to be any problems. But you realize like when we get married, like my wife and I, we got married, uh, we, we exchanged vows here. You know, how do those vows go? For better or worse, in sickness and health, in happiness and unhappiness, even in marriage with the person you love more than anybody else, there's going to be moments that you are not happy. There's a lot of people that want to get a divorce today just because, well, you know what? They just don't make me happy anymore. When it comes to our relationship with God, you have to realize it's not all happiness. There are times that we have to persevere, that we have to go through hard times. But here's the cool promise. God doesn't promise to take away the hard times. He doesn't guarantee our happiness, but he promises to walk with us through whatever we're going through. And I know a lot of you are in a storm right now. Maybe people around you don't know, but you know. The emotional weight you're feeling, the tension, the situation you're in. And happiness can be so dependent upon your circumstances. If your circumstances aren't good, it's almost impossible to be happy. But you know what? When you find God and you're able to trust him and rely on him, when you're weak, he is strong. And when you don't know what to do, he is still a rock to rely on. He ain't going nowhere, and you can trust him. And does it require faith? And do you know how the future is going to turn out? You don't know how the future is going to turn out. But I know this. The future is better with him than without him. So I choose him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, it says, But just as he who called you is happy, so be happy in all you... Wait, I said that wrong. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. We must stop pursuing happiness and instead pursue holiness. And as I said earlier, Tim Keller said so good. Here's the irony. The less you're concerned about your happiness and the more you're concerned about him, about God, the happier you get. It's wild how it works. Number two. God desires more than just my happiness when it's only based on worldly things. Man, we're coming into Christmas season. I was in Menards the other day. The Christmas trees are out. All the Christmas decor is coming, which means all of the marketing is getting ready to ramp up so that these companies can tell you what's going to make you happy this year. Are you ready to see more car commercials with red bows on top of the cars? Are you ready to see the new iPhone? Are you ready to see the new game that's going to make your kids addicted for the next 24 hours? You know, like, are you ready? It's crazy what we think we need to be happy, whether that's in a car or a relationship, but so often it's in possessions. 
And the world tells us that happiness is found in what you own. It's found in your possessions, and it's also found in the absence of conflict. But here's what we read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. This is going to be pretty hard if you've never read this before. It says, do not love the world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. See, if you love the things of this world more than you love God, then the love of the Father's not in you. He has to be number one. He has to be supreme. It goes on to say this, verse 16 and 17, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. You ever seen that guy out there washing his car on that Saturday, putting that extra coat of wax on there? In my neighborhood, they're washing their golf carts. Pride in the achievement. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And, and the world is, everybody say it, fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will, what? Live forever. Wow. God is offering us what true life is. The world has its version of life. But John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said that he has came to give us life and life more abundantly. I think the greatest challenge Jesus had was helping people realize that they weren't living. Everybody's like, no, I'm good. I got a life. And she's like, you don't understand. That's not life. I offer you real life. Life that will satisfy, life that will never let you down. He met the woman at the well and was like, hey, would you like to drink the water of life? And she's like, wow, that would be awesome because I'm super thirsty for things that my soul doesn't even know. Jesus offers us true life. He desires our happiness, but not when it's based on worldly things. And number three, God desires more than just my happiness because God wants me to live a blessed life. And I get we got to be careful here because some people think that blessing means more money, perfect health, more things, the absence of bad things. But, but a blessed life is more than a happy life. The blessing that we can experience is not a thing but a person. It's a relationship with the creator of the universe who is good, who is love, who walks with us through every storm in life. He even said this. Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you all this so that you may have, what? Peace in me. Here on earth you will have a few trials. Oh, many. Ah, oh, Jesus, why? You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't want us to be surprised when we're going through a hard time. He said, I told you. I told you. But God wants you to know that he can be your strength in your time of weakness. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says this. Don't worry about anything. How about this? Instead, pray about everything. That would change all of our attitudes just right there. Stop worrying. How about you just start praying about that? Have you prayed about that lately? No? Okay, well, hey. <laughs> How about you tell God what you need and then go ahead and thank him for all he's done? Let's not just be focused on what we don't have, but let's remember, wow, God, you've been so good to me. Then you know what you're going to have? You're going to experience God's peace. 
Oh, that's how this works. Which exceeds anything we can understand. I think it's so hard as a pastor to talk about the peace that God offers because it exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Last verse, 1 Peter 1.8. It says that you love him even though you've never seen him. You ever think about that? None of us have ever seen Jesus. But we love him, right? Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with what? A glorious, inexpressible joy. I want that. You can keep happiness. I'll take the inexpressible joy that's so rooted in who I am. It's not what I do. It's just become part of me. God's transformation has made me a joyful person. He didn't just hand me happiness. He made me joyful. It doesn't matter what season of life I'm in. A couple years ago, I'm at Mayo Clinic, and doctors are telling me that I might have a lifelong incurable disease. Guess what? I got an inexpressible joy. It's not based on my circumstance. It's not based on what the doctor says or doesn't say. I get to ride this abundant life that God's given me and live the story whether I'm diagnosed with something or not. Either way, to God be the glory. What a life. What a joy. The devil can't steal this. Circumstances can change. Ah, you can't take this. So as we wrap up today, the Bible doesn't say that God just wants you to be happy. It actually says that he wants so much more for you. And sometimes we think that all this world has to offer will make us happy. But the only problem is, is that we were not made for this world. Those things that we would desire in possessions and accolades will never satisfy us because of the God-shaped hole in our hearts. You and I were created for heaven. We were created for eternity. We weren't made for God to serve us. We were made so that we could serve him. And the best thing that we can do is center our lives on Jesus Become people who truly care and love others. Be generous with our money and possessions and live as a light for others who are walking in darkness. So no matter what you're walking through, no matter what storm you may be in, we have a God who invites you today to lean into his strength and into his love and allow him to teach you how to live with inexpressible joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding. If you guys would, would you bow your heads with me today? As we're here in this moment, I told you up front that the challenge today was not for us to determine what's in the Bible and not in the Bible, but rather to determine what's in us and not in us. And if there's any part of this idea that God is here for my happiness that you've embraced, I hope that today you will begin to remove that from you, that you might pray even in this moment, God, help me to see you correctly. God, help me to undo any wrong beliefs about you. And for some of you here, you may be like, you know what, I am in a storm of life, and I would love to be happy, but, but I'm more interested in this God that you said will be with me, not only in this storm, but in the next one, and be with me every single day. I want to lean into that. I want to change how I think about happiness and holiness, and I want to I choose to pursue God because in him is where true life is found. 
And if you're here and you've never put your faith, you've never put your trust in you, you've never stepped over that line of faith, maybe it's never made sense to you, can I tell you that today can be your moment? Today can be your moment of weaving a life that you've tried to do in your own power and just trusting Jesus. If you're here and you say, you know what, today I want to make this my moment. I want to change who's in charge of my life. I want to begin to follow Jesus and serve him instead of just praying and asking him to do what I want. If that's you, would you just maybe pray this prayer? Maybe make this your own. And I believe that God's going to hear you and I think God's going to meet you where you're at. You can just simply say like, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for all you did on the cross to bring me back to you. Please forgive me of my sin and make me new. In Jesus' name. And for all of us as we continue praying, God, I thank you for your love and your kindness to each person here. Lord, you've been better to us than we deserve, and it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so, God, I pray that if there's any part of us that has been driven by selfish ambition, God, would you reveal that to us so that we can repent of it and we can trust you. Lord, I pray that we would truly be people of faith and that that would be evidenced as we stop worrying about things and start praying about everything. May we rely on you and trust you for our future. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.